Today's scripture reading will be from Jonah, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to God in my dis- I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the hearts of the sea, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head as the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Morning, Redemption. Um, I'm excited to uh, announce today's speaker. And I just want to give a little background here. Um, uh, If you've been coming here for a while, you know that we've been growing as a church, and with that growth, there's been additional needs. And thank you to all of you who filled out the church survey. Um, We've had a chance to to work through that and identify a lot of the areas where we do have a need. And so um, we're happy to announce and excited to announce that uh, Joe Jewell will be joining us as a resident here. And uh, I'm sure many of you have met Joe. He, um, he's uh, served at another church here in town recently, Revolution, and uh, we're just excited to uh, have him take the lead on a lot of these efforts that we're undertaking, so you'll be uh, seeing and hearing more from him in the coming months, and uh, yeah, please welcome him as he preaches today. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Thank you, guys. I, uh, Jake was so cool with his coffee cup last week, I was like, man, I gotta get on that coffee cup coolness, so I uh, brought my own. It's not a cool baseball team, but uh, I got it, so there we go. I'm officially that age where I have to do things that I think might look cool, you know, versus just being cool. Um, so, <laughs> that joke, bad. Um, good. I'm, I'm, man, I'm so honored to be here. This is a big moment for me and my family. I'll get into that um, a little bit during the sermon, but let's pray and uh, let's give this to the Lord. Oh, Father, thank you. Lord, like the song says, we confess our need for you. We confess that, Lord, we cannot do what you have called us to do. We can't live the life that you've called us to live without you. Lord, we're grateful for Jesus and his life and the perfect life that he lived and now lives through us by the power of his Holy Spirit, Lord. We thank you that. We thank you for the cross. And I just pray, Lord, that at the end of uh, our time together, Lord, we would all be looking at the cross and grateful in awe of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, before we get into it, um, 
I just want to mention also, if you don't have a Bible, uh, we have some for you. Uh, and I'm not as cool as Dave, so I'm not going to say it in Spanish. But if, if you do need a, a, a Bible uh, that's Spanish as well, we have those for you. And if you don't have a Bible, this is our gift for you. We want you to have a copy of God's Word. Uh, that's the most important thing. So uh, for sure, keep it. Um, so make sure to raise your hand if you need a copy of Scripture today. Well, if you missed it last week, we started... Uh, a sermon series through the book of Jonah. And just to catch you up, and maybe if you missed it last week, if you did miss it last week, I want to encourage you to go back. Uh, Dave did a profound job of opening up our series last week, so don't miss that at all. Uh, but if you did miss it, let me catch you up. In chapter one, God told Jonah to go and preach the good news about who God is to the people of Nineveh. Now that sounds like an awesome mission at first, from first glance, but when you peel it back, and as Dave mentioned last week, Nineveh was a very extremely tough place to go. In fact, modern day today, uh, Nineveh would be modern day Iraq, and if you really peel back through history, uh, Nineveh, the, the Assyrian Empire, the people that made that, that nation, were today now the great, 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 great and probably a few more greats, uh, grandparents of ISIS today, or at least the people that would identify with ISIS. So this is a tough, tough calling. Uh, history tells us that uh, the Assyrian Empire used to, um, if someone got out of line or rebelled against the empire, they used to decapitate uh, heads, and, and they would force their, um, their loved ones to carry their heads around the city as a warning that just says, don't mess with me. So I don't know about you, but when, when, Jonah, when Jonah ran, I'm identifying with Jonah more than I am anything else, right? And I want us, before we dive into chapter 2 today, to put ourselves in Jonah's shoes, I think because a lot of us, you know, as, especially if you've grown up in the church, you've been in church for a while, and if you haven't, man, we're so happy that you're here today and, and, and pray that God, God's word speaks to you. But, you know, if you've been in church for a while, you see Jonah and you think of Jonah as the prophet who just ran from God's calling on his life. But when you really look through it, man, how many of us struggle just to go across the street and talk to our neighbor? How many of us struggle with getting to know someone that might look, speak, or act a little differently than us? How many times has God put on our hearts to go talk to that person who's experiencing homelessness in that moment, and we just drive by, I'm myself included? I think most of us like what God says until God says it's time to get out of your comfort zone. So rather than looking down at Jonah, if, if we would as a church, and even throughout this series, let's look at Jonah through the mirror um, in our own lives. So after Jonah runs, long story short, he makes his way to a ship to go to Tarshish, uh, where then God appoints a storm. So God calls him east, Jonah goes west, uh, and he's got a one-way ticket to the big city. I mean, he is running. Then a storm comes, and Jonah is, of all things, the, the dude is sleeping on the bottom of a boat. The sailors are freaking out. The, the, the sailors who allowed him to come on the boat, they're freaking out. They go to Jonah, and they say, man, what is, when the world is going on here, there's this ship, we're all, there's a storm, we're all going to die. And Jonah says, 
I, I know what's going on. Just throw me off the ship and everything will be okay. So speeding up, they throw, or as uh, the SV would say, they hurled Jonah off the, um, off the ship, which is, again, a cool word to say, hurled. As, um, I don't know why that's so cool, but anyways, um, they hurled him off the ship. And next thing you know, Jonah is descending into the bottom of the ocean, and then God appoints a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah is a picture, really, of the entire redemption story. We are sinners running from God, and grace is God running towards us. And as we're going to see, the whale is not judgment, it's mercy on Jonah's life. Here's the big idea for this series, and here's what we're kind of hoping happens, and it should come up on the screen. But surrender to the pursuing God whose kindness leads his people to repentance. If you get one thing throughout our entire time through Jonah, uh, this is our prayer and this is our hope that we will we'll see that. Now, there's three kind of points that I want to kind of take out of our text today, and then we'll get right in. Uh, three things that should come up on here. First of all, Jonah, in his prayer, we're going to see about God, Jonah's prayer, and repentance, and the fact that God never gives up. So Jonah is circumstantially focused. He is, we, we're kind of seeing counterfeit repentance in Jonah. And third, uh, the hope that God is always pursuing, and he never gives up on us. Now, Dave did an amazing job last week of going through verse 17, but I just want to kind of go back as a point of review as well. So if you have your Bibles open, make sure to open them up to Jonah 2. And we'll start in verse 17 and make our way, make our way through. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. Now stop there. It takes Jonah three days and three nights to finally begin acknowledging God. I don't know about you, but when I'm like pre-swallow, right, from the whale, I'm, I'm praying for a miracle in that moment, right? Like, like I'm going down, I'm like, God, what in the world? You know, I'm praying and I'm doing all kinds of crazy things. And, but no, it takes him three days and three nights to acknowledge God. And I think what we're seeing is insight to where Jonah is. I think, and I really believe scripture tells us that Jonah is giving up on life. In fact, if you follow the story, Jonah goes down to Joppa, down in the ship, down into the sea, down into the belly of the fish. He is descending. His rebellion and his sin is bringing him lower and lower and lower. But God spares his life by sending a fish to swallow him. How many times do we find ourselves in the depths of our own sin and circumstances before we actually begin praying and acknowledging God? I just think that sometimes God's mercy in our lives is a result of God needing to strip us completely of our self-sufficiency in order to make deliverance actually possible in our lives. And for Jonah, it was being trapped in a whale for three days. And then, and then he begins acknowledging God in, in chapter 2. Let's read verse 1. We'll start in verse 1 and go, through, uh, go to 6. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord in my, out of my distress, 
And he answered me, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me, and all of the waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet Shall I, shall I look again, or again look upon your holy temple? And the waters closed in over me to take, to take my life, and the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head, and at the roots of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought my, up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. So first we see. Maybe not from first glance, but as you really dive deep into it, Jonah is very circumstantially focused in his opening remarks in his prayer. Jonah is acknowledging God, but this isn't a prayer, man, that I'm going to tell you to go home and pray. Because if you really look at it, if you compare it to a prayer um, like in Psalm 51, and it should be on the screen, I'll just kind of read a a little bit from from David's prayer. And if you kind of compare and contrast these two prayers, uh, you'll kind of know where I'm going. Against you and you only have I sinned, David says, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Do you guys see the difference? There's a whole lot of I, I, I in Jonah's prayer, and David is in awe of who God is, even in his sin. And he's saying, you, God, you, God, you, God. And Jonah is pretty focused on what his circumstances are telling him in that, in that moment. But if you read verse 3, he admits his sin, and he knows that where he is is due to his sin. See, Jonah recognizes that getting out of the belly of the whale is completely out of his control. You know, when, um, when Dave asked me to, to preach for him, um, first of all, I, I love preaching, so I was excited. But I, if I'm honest, I got a little emotional. Um, some of you guys know our story, and, and I'll, I'll spread the details. But we've walked through some pretty hard things this past year as a family. Um, and out of all the books, um, to be honest, Jonah has been that book for me uh, this past year. And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't in sin. I wasn't trying to run from God. But in all of Jonah's running and, and all of his rebellion and all of his trying to control his, the way his, things would, you know, his outcomes and those different things, God was always pursuing him. For me, if I'm honest, I was so circumstantially focused when, when things were kind of in rock bottom for us over a year ago, so focused on everything that went wrong and the hurt that I was feeling that caused these circumstances. But as I was thinking about it, it was if my focus is circumstantial, then everything I will face will feel like a belly of the whale for me.
And I think that's what we have to be careful with today is not to think that every single hard thing, every circumstance is just God swallowing me up in the walls of, of, a, of the whale and now I'm here and now I have to try to get out on my own. And I don't think that's what God is saying, but I can tell you this, I do know what it feels like to feel like God has walked off the scene of, your, of my life. And in a room this size, I can't, I can't help but to think maybe you're there today. And circumstances have entrenched you, and now you're so focused on trying to get out and trying to, to figure out how to get out that you are in a place where you feel like God has overlooked you. And I just wonder, I wonder if we looked at these moments through an eternal perspective. Maybe, just maybe, the walls that have us feeling like God is not working in our lives would fall down and our eyes would be open to seeing that everything that God is taking us through may be less about how we currently feel and more about how God is creating us to look, to be, and to become more dependent on his risen son. Amen? And I think sometimes God has to bring us to the depths in order to sink our pride so that we can come out of it seeing more clearly who Jesus is, his plans, his grace, his providence, and his goodness in our lives. Amen. Listen, God is seeking to save more people than one drowning prophet in a giant fish. He sought to seek the sailors. He's seeking to save Nineveh and, and the generations to come in that nation as well. And today God is seeking to save more people by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross, raising again from the third day. His plan is bigger than our plans. And sometimes we can be so entrenched in the walls of our circumstances that we think God is not on the scene. He's not working anymore. But in fact, take it from a pro. God is doing a million different things behind the scenes that we don't ever see, and we're seeing that in Jonah's life, but Jonah wasn't seeing it. In fact, what we see out of Jonah is recognition of sin, but not repentance of sin. And number two, what we see in Jonah is, is counterfeit repentance. Let's read um, verse 8 and 9. Actually, well, we'll start in verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. And then in verse 8, he says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake, forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. And I have vowed I will, and, <clears throat> excuse me, what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah is talking about everyone else's sin but his own. I think one of the markers of counterfeit repentance is when we are so hyper-focused on our sins, of, of the sins of everyone around us, without ever confessing our own. Jonah never actually admits to sin in his prayer. 
He's manufacturing something in order to get something from God. But listen, even if we clean up our act, go to the right Bible studies, read the scriptures enough, listen to the right music, do the right things, have stellar attendance at church, have all the stars checked off, our hearts are still vulnerable to being devoted to idols. And this is what we're seeing um, in Jonah. And if you're, not, if you're kind of new to church, an idol is just simply a person, place, or possession that we love and think more about than God. And I think who better to illustrate this um, than if we go back, I mean, forward to the New Testament with the Pharisees, right? I mean, these were the best behaved people in the city, in Palestine. These are the kind of people um, who, you know, you'd want as a neighbor. They never let their kids keep their toys in the front yard, right? They always picked it up after them. They didn't, they didn't throw parties and throw cigarette butts on, on your yard. You know, they were always nice about picking those up. They don't smash your pumpkins the day after Halloween. That's a true story for us. A couple years ago, we, get, we wake up and they're all smashed. I was like, come on, man. Um, they always picked af- up after their dogs and they always kept their dogs on leashes. I live right across from a park and that's a real struggle. So these, get, were, the kind, these were outstanding citizens, but Jesus had a different word for them. Matthew 23, 27, Jesus says about these outstanding citizens, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. He says, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. He calls them whitewashed tombs. In other words, clean on the outside, corrupt on the inside. I love what theologian Michael Lawrence uh, says about this. It says that the point is that it's not just bad people who are, are idolaters, God, are good, moral, even religious people are idolaters, and repentance is not the same thing as moral resolve. In other words, it's not enough to get your act right. God wants our hearts right, and then the actions follow. And then the actions follow. We know this because genuine repentance, it's the opposite, right? It's, it's a change in worship. See, what looks like a new life is actually the result of new worship. God is in the process of taking Jonah's, or uh, taking apart Jonah's worship of self, of comfort, and as we learned last week, probably of nationalism, and he's, he's trying to see new life emerge from Jonah, but God is using in his life a pressure mechanism in Jonah's life to show him his worship is not in the right direction. And at the bottom of the ocean, Jonah's pride and sin are being put on display for him to see. It's just him, the belly guts, and God. But according to Jonah's prayer, I think it's safe to say he's not quite there yet. Why? Because genuine repentance shows us a few things. Genuine repentance means we are hating what we formerly loved, served, and worshipped, and thought about more than God. And we are making a turn in our hearts. It's a new allegiance. It's new worship. It's new desires. It's new motivations. And now it's less about figuring out how to get my own and figuring out how to 
get my own outcomes and figure all those things out. And it's more about, God, how do you want to work in my life? I'm dependent upon you, God. I'm worshiping you, God. And we don't see that. We see a little bit. And I might even say Jonah's partial repentance is what we really see. But I love what Tim Keller says. He says this. He says that no human heart will learn its sinfulness and importance of being told it is sinful. It will have to be shown, often in brutal experience. And he says, no heart will dare to believe in such free, costly grace. It is the only hope. Listen, it might not be a storm for you. It might be something else. But... There is no better place for you and for me than when we become face to face with costly grace. But the truth is, the enemy has a different agenda for, you, for us and for Jonah. He would love to make you believe that God will not work with you in your sin. But if you go back into verse 7, Jonah says, When my life was fainting away in, in the rebellion, in the sin, in running from God, he recognizes that when my life was ending because of my own choices, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. So even in his sin, Jonah says, I know that if I, if I can get my eyes to see and to look into your holy temple, which translation just means God's presence, if I can just look and see and, and spend time in God's presence. And see, what Jonah knew is, as an Old Testament prophet, what he knew is, was that the temple meant that he would meet God in God's mercy seat. Jonah knew that at the mercy seat was God's removal of his wrath by offering a gift. I just feel compelled to preach hope today that you have not gone too far. In fact, we see Jonah, he hasn't made any leeway at all. He's trying. He bought the ticket. He was on the ship. He was on his way, but he could not stray away from God's plan for his life. And neither can you, and neither can I. I think Jonah is like a stained glass window, but God is shining his light through to show us what God is up to, not Jonah. God is restoring his heart. God is refining his prophet. God is showing him that he needs to depend on God. God is showing him that it is not Jonah's work, but it is God's work that's going to bring him to Nineveh, and it's going to save the Ninevites, and it's his work, and it is his hand that is moving and is on Jonah's life. But Jonah seems to continue to not be able to see outside of his feelings, and circumstances. And what seemed to be the death of Jonah turned out to actually be life. Isn't that amazing? It's sort of this upside-down way of living, that the way up is down, that the way to life is first death. Amen? And what seemed like the worst place imaginable might actually be God's sovereign, saving work 
in Jonah's life, oh, and by God's grace in our life. And this brings us to our last point, that God never gives up. I love it. He, uh, verse 10. It's crazy. This is, this is so crazy to me. And the Lord spoke. So, so Jonah's praying. He's, he's got this thing going on. And then finally, God in his sovereign plan decides it's time for Jonah to come out. And he says in verse 10, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry Land. So God tells this giant, massive fish to vomit Jonah onto the beach. So now Jonah is covered in vomit, smelling like vomit. I mean, can you imagine? God is saying, I'm going to bring you, bring you where I want you to go. I mean, the man was on his way to the west. I mean, for us, we think about it, the west coast, beautiful weather, big city like San Francisco. He was on his way. God swallowed him up. And now Jonah, or now God's saying, I'm not done with you yet, young prophet, right? Like, I'm, I'm still working. Like, and I'll never, he's never given up. And so, but it's, it's crazy to me that God spits Jonah out smelling like really what Jonah is right now. Vomit. How many of us can relate to that? Church, I pray that God doesn't have to bring us through all of that until we see our need for more fellowship with God. And I think the key to understanding fellowship with God, our dependence for God, and what I think God is doing in Jonah, but Jonah's not quite seeing it, is we need to begin to uproot our rebellion from God. And I think this starts, I think this starts by first saying, or at least calling sin for what it is. Sin is sin, and it separates us from God. And because of that, the wrath of God is upon us. But thanks be to God that at the right time, the New Testament says Jesus stepped in and took our shame and took the wrath that was upon our lives. And God placed our sin, the sins that you did and haven't done yet, on Jesus at the cross, and Jesus spent three days in the grave, and on the third day he rose again so that we could have the hope of scriptures like 1 Peter 3.18 that says the righteous for the unrighteous is why Christ died, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in his flesh, but made alive in the spirit. This means that I don't have to keep coming and sort of playing this cosmic tug of war with God. Oh God, I, you know, I, I say, would you do this and do that and atone for this and atone for that? No, Christ died once and for all. And yes, we should live a life of repentance. And I believe that's a very healthy thing for us. And yes, we should say sorry for my sin, but I think it's more of God, would you give me strength? Thank you for your righteousness. And as we sung in the song earlier, God, you are my defense. You are my righteousness. I sin, Lord, and I am sorry for that. But thanks be to God that you stepped in at the right time. Amen? Because the beautiful news of the gospel is that no longer do I as a follower of Jesus. And maybe for you, you're not a follower of Jesus. And maybe God would open your heart to see his grace today and to see this, that we no longer stand guilty before God the Father. That in fact, we stand positionally perfect in Christ. 
And God the Father sees us through the work of Jesus. I'll end with this. I don't think we should compare every single difficult season to Jonah's experience here. I mean, Jonah's a unique man. It's a unique time. Guys, but I know what it's like to feel like God was done with me. And being a pastor for a while, I know that in a church this size, there's a lot of you that are struggling with depression. There's a lot of you that are struggling with having a a child. Maybe you've lost a child. Unemployment. I know I've, I've been there. I know what it's like to feel like God has just left the scene. But man, if it's one thing that I can leave us with today is that the cross preaches a different message. That no matter how far you've gone or think you are, or if you are in the middle of the trenches of circumstances encompassing you and you feel like, I don't know how to move forward. God never gives up. So surrender to the pursuing God whose kindness, whose kindness, whose kindness leads us to repentance. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your kindness to us. Oh, God, thank you. It seems like the older I get, the more aware I am of how much I don't deserve your grace. Father, as a church, we admit our need for you, and I pray that we would leave today with the hope that you are not giving up. Jonah didn't make it a a nanosecond away from your presence, and I pray that we would know that today. And maybe there is someone running from you today. God, bring them back. Just as Jesus said he would forgive us 70 times 7, Lord, help us to know that, that kind of grace in our lives. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for sending your son to die on the cross and rise again on the third day so that new life can emerge by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, we thank you for your scriptures that are truth, that are authoritative for our lives. Help us to love the scriptures, to dive into the scriptures this week and to be immersed in your word, and as your spirit works to bring more glory to Jesus in our lives. And I ask that in your name. Amen.